0: Matthew chapter 14. If you have your Bible, turn there with me if you would. Starting in verse 22, this is from the contemporary English version. This story that we're about to read takes place right on the heels of the second time Jesus has fed thousands with just a few loaves and fishes. The first time he did it with 5,000. This time in the story, it's 4,000. Two separate occasions. It's not the same thing. And really, when it said five, that was just basically counting the men. So uh, it may have been closer to 15,000, and then when it was four, it may have been closer to 12,000 that he fed with these loaves and fish. If I had just been to one of those potluck dinners, it would have changed my life forever. If I would have been close enough at either one of those settings to see the process of the people giving what they had, which nobody had anything but one, right? But the giving up of a few loaves and fish and then to see that being put in disciples hands and then to watch that go to Jesus and then to see Jesus start breaking blessing and multiplying that until there were baskets left over. I, I think I would have remembered that for the rest of my life. Would you? I think I would have been telling people too. have been like, you would not believe this. That's if I could have just been at one of them. But what if you'd have been both? What if you would have been to both of those? What if you'd have been a disciple? What if you would have been one of the people involved in the distribution of the miracle? The disciples are the ones who then they gave it to Jesus and they brought watched him bless break multiply then they took it and they're they're passing it out and they're coming back getting more and passing it out they're doing this for a long time because how many of you know it takes a long time to feed 12 to 15,000 people they are actively watching this and this is not one time they've been through this process but now this is the second time they've been through this process of watching Jesus Meet a miraculous need. I think sometimes we have a tendency to believe that had we been in a place where someone else was at a specific time, we would have done different than they did. We like to imagine ourselves in this setting being the one that said at the second go around, Well, yeah, I know, I know Jesus got this. I'd like to be the one that on the heels of these miracles in the midst of any situation would have said, I'm going to go back there in the back of the boat, lay down, take a nap. That's what Jesus is doing. I mean, I think I'm going to take a nap in the middle of the storm because I'm not worried about it. Wouldn't you like to be that person? But none of us are. And when we read these stories and we think to ourselves, man, how could those guys have forgotten so quickly? I mean, this is day two of the feeding of the thousands, and this is actually the end of the day of the feeding of the second time. I mean, it just happened, and these guys are already afraid and fearing again. I wouldn't have done that. Yes, you would have. And now you know the text, the context for the text. And says, basically, after what I just said had taken place, the feeding of the 4,000. Then Jesus sends the people away. And he made his disciples get into a boat and told them to start back across the lake. The Sea of Galilee is it's called a sea or a lake, but it's big. It's a long way from one side to the other. In fact, you can see the land on the other side, but it's a long way over there. They tell us that because of the way that's positioned that those sailors could have been right out in the middle of that water sky blue everything going great and almost immediately that whole sea could just become tumultuous. It could become a major storm without much warning at all that if a fisherman found himself out in the middle of those waters, he could be in great peril and danger because of how rapidly the weather could change. Well, these guys have been sent back across the lake, but he stayed until he had sent the crowds away. And then he went up on a mountain where he could be alone to pray. And later that evening, he's still there. Now, it said later that evening. That means they've been, what, on the boat for a while because he sent them away first, and now later in the evening. So they've been on the boat, and they don't have a... 50 horse Mercury on the back of that thing. So they're having, to, they're having to paddle this thing across. And they've been paddling for quite some time at this point in the story. It's later in the evening. and By this time, the boat was a long way from the shore. What shore? I guess any shore. If you was in the middle, you'd be a long way from any shore. And it's going against the wind and it's being tossed around by waves that obviously weren't there when they started or they wouldn't have done it. Understand? And a little while before morning, what happened between it was late evening and morning? We just went from late evening to early morning and these, okay, now we're starting to get a picture. These guys have been out in the middle of this lake for a long time. The longer our storms go on, the harder they are for us to be able to see through, aren't they? It's now a little while before morning. And Jesus came walking on the water toward his disciples. When they saw him, they thought he was a ghost. And they were terrified and started screaming. And all at once, Jesus said, don't worry, it's me, and don't be afraid. And Peter said, well, Lord, if it's really you... And tell me to come to you on the water. And Jesus said, come on. And Peter got out of the boat and started walking on the water toward him. But when Peter saw how strong the wind was, he was afraid. And he started sinking. Save me, Lord, he shouted. And right away, Jesus reached out his hand and he helped Peter up. And he said, you surely don't have much faith. Why did you doubt? And when when Jesus and Peter got into the boat, the wind died down. It's not that the disciples didn't know who Jesus was or what he was capable of. It's just that every time you really need a miracle, you're not thinking about the last one. Are you? Sure, God worked this out last time, but this is this time. That's just how we are. We don't mean to be disrespectful or we're not trying to be faithless or unbelieving or anything. It's just sometimes the winds are are so strong and the waves are so tall that it's just hard to remember how much God loves us and how powerful he is right now. I remember that when I was well. I remember that when my bills was paid. I remember that when everybody in the house was happy. It's just right now. I'm having a hard time remembering how powerful God is. But I read this story and I can't bring myself to fault, Peter. I'm going to tell you right now, I wouldn't have gotten out of the boat for no amount of money. God's man of power and faith right here. Hunkering down in the boat, crying like a little third grade girl is what I'd have been doing. And notice something about this story. Nobody else is getting out of the boat. (laughs) nobody else is out there with Peter. In fact, it tells us that everybody else in the boat and the word that is used there for screaming means, and I want you to see this picture, shrieking. These grown men are shrieking while Peter is walking on the water. And I don't blame the guys that are shrieking because... I've thought about this a little bit and it's a scary situation. Think about it. They're in a boat. It's not a big boat. They're in a boat in the middle of a huge lake. In the middle of the night, it's dark. They're in a storm. And now add to this, there is a ghost walking on the water headed for your boat. And there's nowhere for you to go if you can't walk on water. Hence the shrieking. Now, when Jesus speaks and they realize who he is, it it helps a little bit. But the storm is still raging and they realize that they're still a long way from the shore. And so safety is still not within their grasp. It's frightening. Listen to me. It's frightening to be in the boat that some of you are in today. You know that Jesus is Lord. You know that he's with you. You know that somehow everything's going to work out because he's promised it to you. But right now, all you can do is hang on to the side of the boat with one hand and try to furiously bail water with the other. Am I talking to anybody? Pastor, I am bailing water, and if I wasn't so busy trying to fight this storm, I'd be shrieking right now. I might after church, and I was before. Before. The sky is still dark. The storm is still raging. You're a long way from the safety of the shore. You have faith. You believe, but dot, 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 dot. I believe, but. I want you to notice something about the story. I want you to notice the prayer. Did you notice the prayer when we were reading? The prayer in the story is only three words long. It is, save me, Lord. It's the shortest prayer in the Bible, but it's still the most powerful prayer in the world. And I'm going to tell you how that is the case. Because this prayer verbalizes the two most important things that a person can do or say in order to get God's attention. Are you curious? Save me, Lord, says two things. Number one, it says, I believe you, Lord. Number two, it says, I submit to you, Lord. Two most important ways to get God's attention. I believe you, Lord. I submit to you, Lord. Why is this the most powerful prayer in the world? Because this is the prayer of salvation. This is, these are the elements. This is the formula for the prayer of salvation. Romans 10, 9, because if you confess the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth one confesses unto salvation. What? I am saved when I believe and confess. I am saved when I believe and confess. So when I say, Lord, I believe you, and Lord, I need you, I am saved. Hmm. I believe you that the, the, the Lord save me is the prayer of belief and submission. There's no, there's not a more powerful prayer than this in the world. May, maybe you went to a prayer somewhere, someplace, and you heard somebody stand up and they took the prayer out of their pocket and you knew they spent a long time writing out that prayer and they read that thing for 30 minutes. And you heard the biggest words you'd ever heard in your life. You walked away and didn't feel nothing. I don't like those kind of prayers. But a simple, Lord, save me. God said, okay, yeah, I'm with you. I heard that. I didn't hear, oh, thou most omnipotent, gracious, sovereign master of the universe. He who acknowledges and rejoices in the wondrous blessing of allowing being able to hear me pray. The most powerful prayer is the simple heartfelt prayer. The one that the person really means. It comes straight out of desperation and isolation and loneliness and fear. Because at this point, the person is saying, I don't have any other options. The psychiatrist can't help me. The doctor can't help me. I can't help myself. I've been everywhere, done everything, paid everybody. I've tried everything I can think of, and there's nothing's fixing this. All I know is I'm about to sink. When when, when, when Peter realized he was sinking. There's a, there, there is a translation of the word sinking that I'd never seen before. To me, sinking means he's going underwater, right? But there's a definition that takes it to a whole new level. The word that is used there to describe what was going on with Peter is this word, overwhelmed. When Peter realized he was about to be overwhelmed... Anybody here ever been to a place you're about that far from being overwhelmed? Maybe that far. Maybe you were on this side of it already. Overwhelmed was yesterday. When Peter realized he was overwhelmed, he didn't start trying to set some kind of an appointment with his doctor or psychiatrist. He didn't say it's time for me to get a hold of somebody for some counseling. He said, Lord, save me, because there wasn't time to do nothing else. I mean, he'd already seen the wind and waves, and the feet were already going down. The water was hitting knees and waist. There wasn't no time for a long, drawn-out, pretty embellished, handwritten prayer. You been there? Anybody ever prayed that prayer? Oh, God, I'm in trouble right now. I mean, I can see where this car is headed. At 75 miles an hour of that corner in that concrete, this is not going to be good. I don't have time to make appointments. I am overwhelmed. I love this prayer. Lord, save me. Everybody in heaven is going to be there because they prayed that prayer. Nobody in heaven's going to be there cuz they paid a, prayed a better prayer than you. You get to, you don't have to stand in line and say, "Oh man, I know he prayed a much better prayer than I prayed." Mine was so simple. I just came to him and said, "Lord, I'm a dirty sinner. I am going on I'm going to hell, man. I need help." And Jesus said, "Okay, cool. I got you." Hmm. God didn't save any of us because he was impressed with our prayer. It was impressed with our sincerity. And what's so awesome about this prayer is that we get to pray it for the first time to receive salvation. But then we can continue to pray it for the rest of our lives. Every time we need to. Every time we find ourselves in the boat struggling. We get to pray the prayer. When you're sick, it works. When you're broke, it works. When you're alone, it works. No matter the storm or the scare, Lord, save me works every single time. And it worked for Peter. I want you to think about this for a minute, if you would. Go with me in my imagination and think about how awesome it would have been if just for a minute, in his shoes, you would have been able... To rule out the winds and the waves as he did. And walk on the water. Even if it was only for a couple of steps. He didn't walk a marathon on the water. He just walked on the water for a couple of steps. Most people never do that. Most never never act out their faith on this level. But regardless of the danger, Peter walked with Jesus for a step or two on top of the waves that were so threatening. And here's a word that I want you to get. Write it down. If you write anything down today, write down the word immediately. Oh, I like immediately. Immediately is what will get you through the doctor's appointment and the bad news and the tragedy and the divorce. Jesus is the God of immediately. I'm going to tell you what that meant. So here we are with Peter. We're walking on the water. He notices the storm around him. He notices the wind is so strong. He notices that the waves are so high. The sky is so dark. And he remembers his fear. And immediately he starts to sink and he starts to panic there's no pride left and he screams lord save me and immediately does three things immediately look at verse 31 the word right away in the contemporary english i'm not sure which one you're looking at but right away that word is used different ways translated different way but here's the meaning of the word the word right away means immediately Peter screamed, Lord, save me, and immediately three things happened. Number one, immediately Jesus reached out to him. I've found that every time that I cry out to Jesus, no matter how bad it is or how bad I made it, he reaches back to me every time. He reaches for me every time. In fact, what's so cool about Jesus is he refuses to let me go through this life alone. I don't know how people do it without him. I'm so grateful that every time I shriek, Lord, save me, immediately he reaches out to me. He's done it for years. Secondly, immediately, Jesus helped him. See that? He lifts him up. I, I, I wrote down this question in my notes. How many times would he do this? And I don't know the answer because I have not been able to exhaust the amount of times that Jesus will lift me up. I've had a lot of occasions to scream, Lord, save me. Most of those were my own doings. But every time that I screamed, Lord, save me immediately, he reached out to me and he helped me up. I've never been able to exhaust his grace. It's quiet in here today, but we're thinking. He's promised he's never going to let us down. If you're his child and you need help today, all you have to do is just ask him. It's Very simple. There's no major formula. I don't need to write a book. I don't need to give you the, give you steps or points or poems or any of that. There's no rungs on the ladder. It's such a simple thing. If you're his child and you need help, scream, Lord, save me. And number three, immediately Jesus reminded him. Oh, now listen for a minute. It's still early. I want you to notice something about this story that nobody talks about. Jesus did not chide Peter for having no faith. You see it? Are you still are you looking at it? Are you with me? Oh, because the message preaches better when we say the reason he sunk because he didn't have any faith. No, no, no. He had faith, or he wouldn't have got out of the boat. He had more faith than anybody else in the boat. Nobody else is getting out He had faith He had faith to be saved So do I He had faith to be healed So do I Just in this particular instance And maybe in some to come Throughout the rest of his life He would find himself in various situations Where he would still have to shriek Lord save me But it wasn't because he didn't have any faith He just didn't have enough but hang on a minute because that's where we got in we get into that. Oh, that's that's why people don't get healed. That's why people don't get saved. That's why good things don't happen cuz people don't have enough faith and then we put it back on people. Well, people need to people need to if I did, if I did, if I did, then he would. Oh, man, that's a tough burden to live under, folks. You thinking that you can finally get good enough for God? to have mercy on your situation if you're waiting to get good enough before you ask God to help you you will never ask pastor I'm just waiting till I get a little stronger wait till I get till I get a few of these habits down behind me I'm just wait till I, till I get about a little bit further distance between me and that sin I'm just waiting today's the day to shriek Lord help me there's such an anointing on that I know because when it hits I start crying Jesus didn't tell Peter he didn't have any faith he just said you don't have enough Pete but I don't know if any of us do I don't I'm going to tell you when I get in the middle of the storm I'm not the rock of Gibraltar either that I am on the days that I feel really good but every time that he rescues me he reminds me through it to draw closer to him and I'm never close enough but because I'm always falling I'm always reaching and I'm always shrieking Jesus isn't afraid of the storms He makes them (laughs) He creates them He allows them I told Deb yesterday The depths of the songs And the poems And the poetry And the things that we enjoy reading the most They are not birthed out of the lives of people That have never had any problems The things that touch your soul come from people that have been through really, really tough places and they've dealt with tragedy and loneliness and isolation and and all types of fearful situations that they've gone through in their life and God has brought them through one time after another. They're not the rock of Gibraltar. They just have a little bit more faith than they used to. But when they get put in a bad spot, they're going to need to know again how much they got to rely on Jesus. Jesus walked on the storm because he could. He created it. Wasn't afraid of it. It sure did change Peter's life. That's what those storms do. theologian Clark made the statement he said every moment we stand in need of Christ while we stand we are upheld by his power only and when we are fallen or have fallen we can be saved only by his mercy ain't that the truth what's he saying he's saying that when I'm standing it's by God's power and when I'm falling I'm saved by his mercy but never at any point either time was it me it was always him look through the Gospels you find this story being recounted in the book of John I like the book of John, I like the ending there better than any other place because that's the way I want the endings to be but I've found that they're not always that way in my life but in the book of John, John says that as soon as Jesus and Peter got back in the boat not just the storm was over but immediately they realized they were at the shore It was over. They went from the middle to the end like that. And I say, yeah, Lord, that's what I want. He said, not so fast. Sometimes that's my way. Sometimes. I used to sing a song years ago back when we used to do that sort of thing. And it said, sometimes he calms the storm. And other times, he calms his child. My life, I've noticed that immediately, as far as the enduration of it, it doesn't always happen. I'm saying that not always does immediately happen for it to be over. But the first three are always true. He reaches out. He gets a hold of me. And he reminds me, hey, D, you just need more faith, man. He's not chiding him. He's saying, you need to keep drawing close to me. Through this storm, you're going to get better. And then I'm going to send another one. And I'm going to send another one. And I'm, I'm going to send another one. I'm going to send another one. You're going to keep getting better. You're going to keep getting stronger. You're going to keep getting better and better and better and better and better. save me Lord once I know he has a hold of me then I can walk with him regardless of the conditions that we're walking in I I, I know I'm just going to have to keep saying save me Lord until he takes me home and I realize that that's okay because he doesn't get tired of hearing it listen to me those of you that are afraid to cry out again because you do it so often He doesn't get impatient with my cries for help. He's never amazed at my lack of faith. And it never causes Him to want to give up on me. He likes my need for Him. He enjoys the faith that causes me to cry out to Him. That's why the shortest prayer in the Bible is still the most powerful. Some of us need to pray it today. I've heard some hard preaching through my years. Being in various churches and different denominations and Bible college and all. I've been a lot of places and heard a lot of people. I've heard a lot of really good preachers preach what they felt was truth. They meant it from their heart. But I couldn't live up to what they were telling me I had to do. I, keep, I continue to view my life this way. Do you ever see the war movies where those soldiers are climbing over the side of the ship on the rope net? That rope ladder? That's how I view my walk. I am clinging to the rope ladder. With everything I've got. Praying and hoping not to fall. But how grateful I am. That knowing. That there's a trapeze. If I do. That's going to catch me. I'm not going to fall in the water. I'm not going to drown. He's not going to let go of me. He's not surprised by my lack. Of strength or how I failed. Or how I sinned. I can't grow accustomed to my sin. I can't ever be okay with my sin, but I'm gonna tell you something. The Lord, I believe the Lord is revealing to me, and it may get me kicked out of I may lose my papers with the assemblies of God preaching this theology. I don't think so, but I'm gonna tell you something. I want every person in this room to do something right now. I want you to imagine the thing that you hate about yourself the most. What is it in your life that when you lay your head on your pillow, you repent for the most? And you tell God over and over, you wish you'd quit. What is that? I don't want to know it. I want you to identify it. What is that thing that you struggle the most with? Because I'm telling you, I've lived my life with expectations, obligations, and yet there are still times I, I lay my head on my pillow and I say, God, I, I hate this about myself. I hate it when I have this lack of faith. I hate it when I, when I respond in this way. I hate it when I think certain things or when I do certain. I hate that, God. I just hate that. I don't know if I'm ever going to get good enough, Lord. I just don't know if I'm ever going to be pleasing enough. What am I going to do, Lord, if I die in my sin? Let me ask you a question. Who is it between the father and the devil that hates you? It's not God. He loves you so much that he sent his son to die for you. The devil's the one that hates you. And he feeds on that when you hate yourself. And you lay there and and, and what you think you're hearing from the spirit of God is not the spirit of God at all. You say, I live under such conviction. Well, we should be convicted about our sin and we're asking God to help us. But I'm telling you, that thing that causes you to hate yourself is not going to cause God to hate you. The devil hated you already. He's trying to kill you. But God's love and power and grace are so powerful that he's going to love you in spite of what you hate about yourself. And that's freedom. I can't get with the bondage of legalism and religion. I can't get with it. But I don't mind clinging to the net Knowing the trapeze is under me And I'm going to do my best to climb But if I fall I'm not going to hell I'm falling into grace That's not a license to sin Because that only applies to people who are his His children, people who believe in him People who love him, people who are serving him said, Pastor you're getting really close To the once saved always saved thing aren't you I'm getting really close to once saved, always saved. Because I think it's going to be really hard. The only way I'm going to walk away from my salvation is if I choose to. It'll not be because God cast me away. I'll make a decision to walk away. So somewhere between where where we grew up and where we were taught was wrong. Somewhere in the middle is right. And God don't like being put in a spot where He gets to be the bad guy. That's always looking down to beat somebody up, and He's always looking for your latest mistake. He's trying to catch a teenager speeding so that He can wreck their car and take them to hell. How many of us grew up with that kind of condemnation? If you die, if you if you die thinking a bad thought, you die thinking a bad thought. You're going to hell so thankful that i'm not going to be judged based on my latest action but i'm going to be judged on the condition of my heart and that'll set you free that's what makes that prayer so powerful i know i gotta quit but somebody needs to hear this this morning that's what makes this prayer so powerful lord save me the fact that i'm praying it means i don't want to go to hell means i don't want to be lost means i don't want to sin i can't help who i am and how i am i'm going to do the best i can holy spirit's going to forgive me and fill me with power and i can live an abundant overcoming life i know all of that but i also know there's going to be times i'm going to struggle and i'm so thankful to know that god loves me the storms that rage in my mind, He created just like the ones that Peter walked on. Not to destroy me. Maybe not even to keep me from falling. But to keep me on my knees. Continually saying, Lord, I need you. Forgive me. Do change me. I do want to be more like Jesus. Jesus. But thank you, Lord, that you love me. You love me even when I can't. And even if others say I'm not worth it. There's some terrible deeds in this room. There's some people in here who have done some really, really bad things. And you struggle with forgiving yourself. I'm telling you, if you pray, Lord, save me, He has it's gone it's done it's over and the Bible said not the preachers but the Bible said he whom the son sets free is free indeed I choose that I want you to stand to your feet some of you can't wait some of you can't wait You just waiting me to be quiet so you can get down here. Pastor, I got to get to this altar. I got to do something with what's going on in my heart. I got to get to my knees. I got to talk to my father. I got to cry out to Jesus save me again. Save me again, Lord. Save me again. Whether it's for salvation or whether it is for the storm you're going through, He is not impatient with your asking. He created this situation to draw you closer. He's going to calm this thing when it's time. But He's not going to let you go in the process. It's time for you today to come down with the faith that you have. Exercise the faith you have even if it doesn't feel like a lot. It's enough to get you down to an altar. To get to your knees. To throw up your hands one more time and scream, Lord, save me. And Immediately. Immediately. He's going to reach out. He's going to lift you up. He's going to remind you that you got to keep drawing close. Who am I talking to? Come on. Come on. Come on. Find a place. Find a place. Find a place.